Thank you for tuning in to the Living Hope Church podcast. This is a free resource given to you uh, for your benefit and for your faith to be grown in the Lord. So we encourage you, if you are a Living Hope Church member, to share this podcast, to share these sermons, if they have fueled your faith in any way. And if you are not a Living Hope Church member, we pray and encourage you to stay and remain faithful in a local body, a local church for the building of the body, and that this would only be a supplement for your faith. But we do pray that this encourages you in your faith, all for His glory and for His name's sake. Thank you for tuning in, and let's get into the sermon. Lord, um, God, we thank you. Thank you so much just for your grace, um, for your mercy. Uh, and we just, we just come to you in this time, Jesus. We, uh, we're stuck at home. Um, but even though we're stuck at home, we, we give you this time to, uh, to dive into your word, to set time apart, to dig in, and to get to know you more. Um, we understand that things are very hectic right now and things are very um, anxiety-provoking and uh, it's very chaotic. Lord, we just, we just want to submit to you just in this moment, just for this, this, this time. Um, and I pray for everyone listening, Lord, that you would, you would give them ears to hear, that you would be on every word that comes out of my mouth. Um, and I just thank you, Jesus, for what you want to speak to, to people today in regards to faith. And so we thank you. Thank you for your word. Holy Spirit, would you open the eyes of our hearts to understand your word as you have uh, intended. Um, give, us, give us understanding um, as we read your word to, today. And so we thank you, Jesus, and we say this all in your almighty name. Amen. Amen. So um, I had actually prepared a full two-week uh, sermon on the book of Jude. We were going to walk through that, and I was excited for that, man. Um, but the Lord, the Lord switched it up on me, and like the writer of Jude says, I was very encouraged to write to you about uh, our common salvation and go through that book of Jude, but uh, he impressed on my heart something else, just in regards to everything that's happening with coronavirus and um, everything that that is causing in, in our world. And uh, so today I want to talk to you about faith. I want to talk about faith. And that that's, may seem like a, like a small thing, like, oh, you know, I know about faith already. Um, but as we're going to find in what we're going to read today, uh, we may either have a small understanding of faith, which is what I found, um, or uh, it's going to take us deeper into to what biblical faith actually is. Um, a lot of us have probably heard of faith, even if you're a non-Christian, um, you've heard this term thrown out, uh, even by your, your non-Christian friends, or I have faith in this person, or I have faith in this thing. Um, and, and for us believers, we've, we've heard of saving faith, saving faith, the faith needed to uh, gain access into the grace that is provided in Jesus 
Jesus' uh, death and resurrection and everything he calls us into, we, we access that by faith, and that is what we call saving faith. And then there's another aspect of faith, which is just simply trust. Trusting in the Lord as we're walking with him, um, we, we continually exercise practical faith, where we, where we are consistently um, relying more on his will than ours. We're consistently um, seeking his voice and, and, and going to uh, follow his voice rather than just the feelings of our own heart. Exercising practical faith and trust, which both, both aspects of faith are very important, very important aspects um, uh, that, that are needed in faith. Uh, but I think sometimes which I have found in my own life, uh, as we're walking with Jesus, sometimes faith can turn into something more of simple spiritual optimism, where we see it as, as uh, when things press up against our walk or, or our faith or what we believe about God, whether it's uh, you know, coronavirus or anxiety or depression or even just external things like bullying or um, anything out there that would push up against what we believe about God or what we have put our trust in about Jesus, what I've noticed I tend to do sometimes is I try to hype myself up to, to get to this place of faith and try to get out of this place of struggle. Uh, I try to kind of elevate myself up to the place of um, faith and trusting in the Lord where I'm not really affected by the struggle of whatever's happening in my life, which um, that's not bad. That, that isn't bad. Um, optimism isn't, isn't all bad. But I think it becomes dangerous when we disconnect faith from uh, the current reality of our, uh, just the brokenness of our world. Um, if we see the broken world in um, the fallen world and the things that are happening in the world, and we see faith as something out there that we kind of have to reach towards, uh, and we've disassociated faith from the reality of the brokenness that we live in, I think that is when it becomes um, something that it was never intended to be. Let me give you this example. So uh, a couple years ago, there was a study done uh, about young adults who are leaving the church. So right now, there is a mass exodus of millennials who are leaving the church. Um, they don't want nothing to do with organized religion. They think uh, it's terrible that all wars, were, most of all wars were caused by uh, Christians and organized religion and all this stuff, and they're leaving the church. And there was a survey done uh, just asking them why. Asked thousands of young adults, why have you left the church? And these are young adults who grew up in the church, um, who went to youth group, who came to church every week, who went to VBS and went to youth camp and all these things, got to college and ended up leaving the church altogether. Um, and these surveyors, surveyors wanted to know why. Why did, what, what had you leave? The interesting thing is over 70% of all of them had one main reason in common, one main reason. They felt that they could not ask questions. 
They could not ask questions. They felt like, like in their faith, growing up in the church, they, they had faith in God. They, maybe they accepted the Lord as, a, as a, a, a young person. And at some point, things pushed up against that faith and challenged it, where they experienced doubt or anxiety or questions in regards to things in the Bible. And they felt like they couldn't come to the pastor and say, hey, I don't really believe this about God. Why is this in the Bible? Or what does this uh, mean when God says this? They're often met with what we sometimes say is, well, the Bible just says so. Or, um, you know, that's just how God has done it, which all of that is true. Um, but I think what we've done unknowingly is we've disconnected their real human struggle, something we all are in. We're all in a broken, fallen body because of Adam and Eve, Genesis 3, acting in rebellion against God and bringing us all into this place of what the Bible calls sin. Um, we all experience this, this real um, struggle with even just believing the Bible is true. And I think if we disassociate faith from that real struggle, we, we get what, what we're, we're at with the young adults leaving the church where they don't feel heard. Um, and so today, we're asking the question, what exactly is biblical faith? And how does it relate to that brokenness? How does it relate to our current world of brokenness and fallenness? And so we are going to be in 1 Peter. I trust that you guys have your Bibles, even though you're not in church. Uh, so we're going to be reading together. We're going to be reading 1 Peter, um, and we're going to be in chap uh, chapter 1, and we're going to be going through verses 6 through 9. Those are going to be our main focus verses. Um, or I'm sorry, we're going to be in verses uh, 3 through 9, but I'm going to focus right now on verses 6 through 9 first. Um, and so this is what 1 Peter Chapter 1, 6 through 9 says, Peter says this. He says, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, May be, may be found to result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's a fascinating text. It's fascinating because of this. Peter, the apostle Peter, who was one of Jesus' 12 apostles, um, wrote this letter in first century A.D. to a group of dispersed persecuted Christians. Uh, in verse 1, he identifies them as the elect exiles of the dispersion. That sounds really confusing, but all it means is elect, meaning uh, the chosen people of God. God chose the people of Israel to bring about the Messiah. Um, he's speaking to Jewish people, Jewish Christians, elect exiles, meaning they don't live in Jerusalem. They're not in their hometown. They're dispersed throughout the cities of uh, the Mediterranean. So they're living in pagan cities, cities that don't know their God, the God of the Bible. Uh, they worship other gods, many gods. Um, 
people who uh, don't really like the idea that there is a correct way of actually living life. Um, they don't like that there's a correct way to use money and sex and work and marriage and all these other aspects of life. Uh, they simply believe believe that that uh, you can just live life the way that you want to, and everyone's truth is the same, and we can just all kind of do this how we want. And so these Christians were being persecuted uh, because they believe in one God, that God designed things for a specific purpose um, and, and that he gets glory either way. Um, and, and so these Christians were persecuted and even killed for their faith. So this is a very hostile environment that they're living in. And Peter's speaking directly into that context. He's speaking into their context of brokenness, hardship, struggle. Um, and he's telling them, you have reason to rejoice, which is crazy because that sounds like not a fun time. It sounds not really fun to be persecuted and even killed for your faith. Uh, and he's saying, you have reason for, to rejoice. Um, look at verse 6 again. Look at verse 6 again. He says, he says, um, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So he's making it a point to affirm their struggle. These are grieving Christians. These, these are Christians who are going through really rough times. A lot of people believe that Christianity, that they come to Christianity and that God is going to make everything perfect and that we're going to get ultimate happiness, and, um, which we will in the end. But here, uh, a lot of us be sometimes believe that God will just make us happy and that everything will work out and we won't really have to go through struggles. And Peter is identifying with these Christians and saying, listen, I know it's hard. You, you are being persecuted, and that's a very real thing uh, in this world. And, and I just want to identify with that, and I want to let you know that that's a real thing. And um, he's not disassociating their faith from their current struggle. He's not trying to uh, convince them that the struggle is not really as bad as it is. Um, he's not saying any of that. He's not overlooking their struggle and just running to Bible verses, which is what I do sometimes. Um, he's, he's, he's validating that it's a struggle. He's validating that it's hard. And um, he's saying, you're rejoicing. You could rejoice in it. You don't have to get out of it to rejoice, is what he's saying, and, which is, which is uh, something that we struggle with as as believers, I, because we know the truth, the tendency is to uh, jump to Bible verses and, and just kind of tell the person, like, listen, listen, don't worry about, don't worry about that. Like, like that's a lie. Just, just don't worry about it. Um, look at what this says, right? I do that all the time. <laughs> um, and, and what the Lord has taught me in this is that uh, Peter is mimicking Jesus's model right here. In John 17, Jesus is uh, praying for his disciples before he is crucified. And he says something interesting in his prayer for them. 
In John 17, he says, I do not pray that you take them out of the world, but keep them from evil. Now, Jesus, Jesus is saying, do not take them out of the world, Father. Do not take them out of the context of brokenness, but sustain them in it. Sustain them in that brokenness in which they're called to live. Sustain them and keep them from evil. And this is why God calls us uh, to go and make disciples, Matthew 28, to go and tell the world about the gospel because he wants us to stay in brokenness but to be sustained and to overcome in brokenness. And so how does Peter do this? How does he... How, how exactly does he um, not disassociate their faith from their struggle? How does he do that? Uh, first, he starts with the gospel. He starts with the gospel. He reminds them of the core of their faith. Look at verses 3 through 5. This is, this is what Peter tells them. He said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And then he gets into the verse that says this is reason to rejoice. This is reason to rejoice. Peter does something that we often fail at doing and that I'm growing into. He walks them back to the basics. He walks them back to the beginnings of their faith, the core of their faith, the very foundation and reality of their faith. He brings them back. He walks them. He dives into the struggle with them and walks them back to the foundations and realities of their faith. In regards to foundation, he reminds them that our faith is built on God's mercy. Now, this is important because a lot of us, maybe even some Christians, see God as a guy up there who's just giving rules and he just wants people to do things the way that he wants them to do, and he doesn't care about how people are feeling. He doesn't care. He just wants things done his way, and he's judgmental, and he's a tyrant, and he hates anything fun. And we see him as a god of, of just wrath, and he, doesn't, he just wants people to just listen to him and not really care about how they're feeling or, or what they're going through. Peter comes at that, Hard, And he says, you, your faith is founded in mercy. Your faith is founded in a God of mercy and grace and that you have received faith from Jesus by mercy, God's mercy and power and the full finished work of Jesus Christ. That by repentance, you have received this faith. And that's the core foundation of your faith. And then he reminds them of the reality of their faith. Meaning, he reminds them of the grand reality. Like they're living in a reality of struggle right now. But he's reminding them of the grand reality 
of what their faith is leading them to, which is the kingdom of God, the, the heritage that is being kept in heaven for us who believe in Jesus, that, that Jesus is keeping this in heaven, safe, undefiled, unperish, you know, not going to go anywhere. He's keeping it, and it's undefiled, and it's not, it's not tainted by sin and, and brokenness. In other words, Peter is moving their faith, or, or, or he's moving their focus from the current hardships, the things that they see that, that are very visible right now. And he's, he's reminding them of the reality that's behind the circumstances, the things that are not seen, the things uh, that are, are hard to see when everything is chaotic around us, things, the promises that, that are not right now seen in the visible, like the kingdom of God like eternal life, where there's no death and no sin. He's reminding them that God has chosen them and by mercy has grafted them into the chosen people of God. And whatever it is that, that they're going through and whatever it is that we're going through, it's easy to be focused on these things that we see because we see them, right? It's, it's easy to say God is good when things are going well and we're not really experiencing much trouble. When life is good, uh, the wife or the husband is good, the kids are good, uh, the kids are not going crazy today. Um, you know, all, all these things are, are going exactly the way that we want them to. We feel God's blessing on us, which it is God's blessing. But it's not so easy. Uh, when everything is falling apart around us. When you don't feel like you're going to be able to make rent this month because of everything that's happening. Uh, when, when anxiety is so loud in your mind that you can't even focus on truth or, or you're depressed because you can't go outside and, and hang out with friends and do things as we usually do them. Or, or there's still family dysfunction going on and you have to walk into that every day. It's hard to say that God is good in those moments. But it is in those moments, those exact moments, that God uses to refine our faith, to refine our faith, to make it something more precious than even gold more precious than even gold. Um, in Hebrews 11.1, 1, the writer of Hebrews defines faith like this. He says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, right? So it's interesting, right? Peter is reminding them of what faith actually is. Faith is actually being convinced and assured of the things that we don't see right now, the things that are hard to see, the things like we talked about, the kingdom of God and, and all these things that are to come. And he's saying that he's reminding them of the essence of faith is 
being convinced and assured of those things. That's the essence of faith, and he's reminding them of that within their current struggle. Within it, he's not disassociating or discrediting their struggle. He's reminding them that God is at work in their struggle. He's reminding of, of God's involvement in their struggle, God's involvement in their persecution, and for us, God's involvement in our current struggle with social distancing and uh, our healthcare system being really, really tested right now, and uh, the fact that no, some people don't have jobs, and hardship, what we're going through right now. He's reminding them that God, and he's reminding us that God is actually involved in this. He's not waiting for us to get out of this to be involved. He's involved right now. And this is the reason. He says, in this you rejoice. In this you rejoice. Look again with me one more time at verses 6 through 9. We're just picking out different aspects of this, this verse here. So again, he says, in this, what we just talked about, that being convinced and assured of the things not seen, I'm going to remind you of the core pieces of your faith that make up your faith. In this, you can rejoice, even though for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Peter, Peter moves. He moves from reminding them of the core realities and, and, and uh, foundations of their faith, and he moves to now talk about the, uh, the purpose of their trials. The, the purpose of their trials, which for us is a really hard concept to kind of grasp. Because we think if God is good, he, wouldn't just, he just wouldn't allow this to begin with. If God is good, why would he allow all of this stuff to happen? And Peter's coming and he's saying, he's, he's actually allowing it to build your faith and to refine it into something that's precious, even more precious than that of gold that simply perishes, even though it's tested by fire. He moves to the purpose of their trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith may result in praise, honor, and glory. And glory. There's an interesting story in um, Luke 7. Uh, Luke 7, verses 1 through 10. Uh, you don't have to turn there if you don't want to. You're more than encouraged to if you want um, it's a story about Jesus in, in the gospel. Jesus uh, comes into a city called Capernaum. He walks into the city, and in the city, he's met by some Jewish elders. They come to him, and they start to, uh, they start to plead with him. And the reality is, come, they were sent by a Roman official, a centurion, a, a Roman guard. Uh, and they're telling Jesus, hey, uh, our... Our master has a servant, or not our master, these are Jewish elders. Uh, uh, this centurion has a servant that he cares about deeply, and he's wishing that you would come and heal him. And then they start to validate the Roman official, and they say, 
listen, he's a good man. He, he's helped us. He cares for Israel. He's built our synagogue. Um, please, please come and help, help him. And so Jesus goes along with these Jewish elders. He goes into the town or into the area where the, Jew, the Roman official is. And on his way, the Roman official sends friends from his house to meet Jesus and the elders when they're not far off. And they come to relate to Jesus a message. And this, and this is what it says in Luke 7, verse 6 through 10. They say, it says, when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I, too, am a man of authority, with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to the other, come, and he comes, and to one of my servants, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, look at this, he marveled, he marveled at him. And turning to the crowd that followed him, he said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found faith like this. And when those who had sent returned to the house, and they found that the servant was well and healed. Now, that's fascinating. The son of God marveling at a man's faith. All right. Now, more than just the healing of this, of this particular uh, incident, I think, <clears throat> I think Jesus has a little, little something more in mind that he's looking at, right? So all of the healings in the Gospels uh, highlight something about Jesus. They're, they're very purposeful. They're not just random healings. Jesus is doing it to highlight specific attributes of himself, or to validate his message that he is God in the flesh, and he's, coming to he's come to redeem the world from the brokenness that happened in Genesis 3. And in this particular healing, he's highlighting something very interesting. He's highlighting something in regards to the way that Jesus sees a man's faith, or a person's faith. Now, what's interesting is there's only two instances in all of the Gospels where Jesus is actually amazed in regards to a person's faith. Only two. One is right here in Luke 7. Then the other one is in Mark 6, when Jesus enters into his hometown of Nazareth, and he's amazed of their unbelief. Two times. That deal with a person's faith. And Jesus is looking at their faith, and something about it is making it amazing, either the amount of unbelief or, or the amount of yielding to him that is in the faith. Now, we have to ask, why was Jesus marveled? Why was the Son of God marveled at a mere man's faith? Why was he absolutely marveled so much so that he even turned around and spoke out and vocally affirmed this man's faith to everyone who was following him? And he said, I have never, ever found, not even in Israel, a man's faith like this. 
What would, go, what would have him go that far to say that? I believe it was the man understood two things very genuinely. He understood his own depravity. He knew that he was not worthy of Jesus to even come under his roof, let alone heal his servant. He knew very well that which he had done. He was a Roman guard who had probably done loads of executions and crucifixions and has worked with the Roman Empire who was itself just a massive powerhouse of sin, right? This is, he knows very well his unworthiness, but he also knew very well who Jesus was. He was a guard in the city, uh, in many of the cities where Jesus did his miracles and where he taught his teachings and where people went around dancing because they were able to actually walk or uh, were able to be healed of like a discharge of 12 years or leprosy, which kicks people out of the camp in the city because they are unclean. He's heard these stories and he's heard the magnificence of Jesus. He's heard about the forgiveness and the grace that Jesus preached. He knew very well his own depravity, but he also knew very well who Jesus was. And so he was confident in Jesus. Jesus marveled at this man's faith, not because he was able to muster up so much of it. It wasn't because he was able to kind of pull down so much faith, and Jesus was just like, wow, look at all that faith that he has. But it was because he was simply willing to yield to Jesus in the midst of his circumstances. And Jesus was marveled by that. He's yielding completely to me. And he even understands my authority as God, that whatever I say to leave, leaves. Everything obeys my command. I have all power. And Jesus has marveled at this man's faith because of his yielding. And the end result of that kind of faith is praise, honor, and glory to none other than Jesus. So what is faith, and how does it relate to our present brokenness, our present fallenness, or the hard things that are going on in the world? Let me just give you two points here. Faith is yielding to the gospel. Faith is yielding to the gospel. Whatever I believe about myself, whatever I believe about God and what people have told me about God, faith is halting and believing, rather, what the gospel says about me as a human and what the gospel says about Jesus, what he says about God. Gospel, the faith is yielding to the gospel. And this is an important aspect, so important that if we don't get this part right, we won't get the next part right. If I don't understand who I am in my humanity, that I'm broken without God, that I'm fractured, that, that though I'm made in the image of God, I'm not living in the way that God has created me to live. And until I recognize that about myself and recognize about God that he is a God of mercy and that he sent Jesus to provide a way into salvation, uh, something we can never work for, he does the work. And he provides that for us. If I don't get those two things correct, 
then I won't have biblical faith. But once we get them correct, we can move on to the next part, which is faith is not detached from our current struggle. It is not detached. Faith is not something out there that we got to muster up ourselves or, or something out here that we got to pull down enough faith to be able to just not be affected by what, what's going on right now or, or our struggle in our families or financial struggles or whatever it is that's going on in our life. Faith is not detached from it. It isn't. If we are yielding ourselves to the reality of human brokenness, that's very true, and we're understanding, we're honest with ourselves about that, but we're also yielding to the truth of God's perfection, that he's holy and he's, merciless, merc- he's full of mercy and he's full of grace, then we can understand that faith does not call us to masquerade our way through our Christian life. God does not want us to pretend. He does not want us to pretend as we walk with him. Right now, there are loads of Christians who feel a way about God but are not expressing it. They're struggling in their faith. They're doubting even their salvation. And they're believing that if they could just walk long enough, maybe they'll get to a place of faith and they won't have these questions anymore. And maybe that's true. But faith is not detached from that. Faith is not something that's out there. Faith is in the midst of the brokenness and and uh, the struggles that we have in our life. And God wants us to be very honest with ourselves. It's why the scriptures say, search your heart. Search my heart, Lord, and show me the hidden things in my heart. He wants us to be very honest with ourselves and be honest with him. He's not afraid of our honesty. He already knows. He already knows the things that are going on in our hearts. He simply wants us to express to him that way we recognize them ourselves. And when we come to understand our frailty before God and come to understand his power, we understand that God uses the pressures in life, whatever they may be, coronavirus, anxiety, panic, family dysfunction, marital struggles, whatever it is in our life that is putting pressure on our faith, God uses it to prove the genuineness of our faith to prove the genuineness, that it is real. I remember when my dad died in 2013. Um, He passed away with cancer, uh, and it was a very hard time. At this time, I was was saved. Um, I was a Christian. I was plugged into a church, and uh, I was reading the Word. I was doing all those things. And I remember before being a Christian, having these kinds of struggles, these external things push up against me, it almost led me to suicide. It almost broke me. And this time, though it was very grieving and though it was very hard, and even now sometimes when it comes around to his birthday or Father's Day, I think of him and and it is hard. But this time is different. It refines my faith. Somehow I come out at the end of it believing more what the Bible says about Jesus. Somehow I've come to believe that God is actually telling the truth when he says, I'm good and I'm going to sustain you, even in brokenness, even when bad things are happening around you. Brokenness 
God uses it to prove the genuineness of our faith to ourselves. We don't need to prove it to him, right? He, need, he wants to show us that faith in the things that are not seen, that those things that are not seen are very real. And the reason that they're real is because you're able to still say that God is good even in the midst of even a global pandemic. And God uses that. But not only for us, for others as well. Think of how many people would look to you and say, how in the world do you have peace right now when people are going crazy buying toilet paper? They don't even know what to do with themselves. How are you so collected in your mind? Well, we could say, well, because I know that Jesus has redeemed my life, with, which was more of a mess than the coronavirus. My life of brokenness, my, my sin and rebellion to God was worse than anything could, that could happen in the world, and he redeemed that. Then I know, I know for sure he could redeem this. I know, I know absolutely for sure, even though I don't see it right now, even though everything is still happening, it's very real, but I am convinced that God can do abundantly more than I ask or think. There's a hymn that I've been listening to uh, recently, all this stuff going on, and it's a beautiful hymn. It's called, He Will Hold Me Fast. And I just want to read some of the lyrics to you, to you guys today. It says this. He says, When I fear my faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, he will hold me fast. I could never keep my hold through life's fearful path. For my love is often cold. He must hold me fast. He will hold me fast. He will hold me fast. For my Savior loves me so. He will hold me fast. I've literally listened to that hymn, I can't even, probably like 20 times in one night. Just reminding myself, Christ is the anchor to my faith. I do not need to depend on my circumstance or myself. Christ is the anchor. Christ holds me fast, no matter the circumstance. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the, and the conviction of the things that are not seen. I'm going to end with this. In 1 Peter 8-9, through 9, he ends this part of rejoicing because of inheritance, salvation, that you have those areas that are not seen, even in the struggle and the hardship of the things that are seen. And there's hope in that, and there's purpose in your trials and your, in, in your struggle. He ends that thought with this, in verse 8. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. By faith, biblical faith, we have already received the outcome of our faith. We just don't see it yet. And God is saying that because of the reality of that outcome, the reality of the things that we don't see, the promises, the, the inheritance, the things that are not visibly seen, 
because of that reality, God can use the situations in our current physical reality, our, our current brokenness. He can use that to refine our faith that we would be more convinced and more assured of those things that we don't see. And that the people around us, our family members, our friends, would be convinced that Jesus is actually real and that the faith that we preach is not just some illogical crutch that we need because life is hard. But it's because life is hard that God is proven to be true and real because we're able to still say things like he is good and merciful and gracious and loving, even in times like this. And so I'm going to invite my friend Greg to come and pray. Um, just, just to close us out, we're just going to pray for you guys. Um, there's going to be more of this tonight with Greg. Uh, he, he is going to be leading the church and whoever else will tune in um, in a time of just prayer and seeking, of just laying our lives down and just saying, Lord, what do you want to do? What, what do you want to do in this time uh, that's, in, that's real hard? How do you want to use our faith? How do you want to refine our faith? How do you want to prove the genuineness of our faith, not only to us, but to other people as well? And so we're going to pray. I'm going to invite Greg to pray after I do. Um, and then we'll cut the live stream, and I encourage you guys to read or not read, well, yeah, you can read the rest of chapter one, it's really good, uh, but listen to the worship set that we've provided for you just to give yourself as an offering to the Lord. So Lord, we thank you so much just, just for your word and the truth that is in your word, Lord. Thank you that when we are forgetful um, your, your truth reminds us of your hand that is in our situation. You're not distant, and you haven't given us a faith that is out there and distant, but you've given us a faith that is in the midst of our trials and that you are refining because of our trials. And we thank you, Jesus, that, that you do that all for your glory, that we would praise you and that you would be fully honored in, in the world. And so we thank you, Jesus, just for, this is hard to pray, but we thank you for trials, Lord. We thank you that because of them, they prove the genuineness of our faith. We are more convinced, more convinced, day by day, of your truth, of your grace, of your mercy and love and forgiveness. We're more convinced of that because you are good. You are good no matter the circumstance. You don't change. And so I just pray for every person listening right now. God, I pray that you would just bring about a peace. Lord, the, the, a peace and a joy that is inexpressible, as Peter says. And that for those who don't know you, Jesus, that, that they would um, see the genuineness of the faith of the believers and be convinced um, of your truth, that you would do that, Lord. And I just pray that you would empower your church in this time, empower Living Hope Church in this time. Help us to be your church 
in whatever way that you would have us to be, Lord. And so we thank you. We give the rest of our day to you. We give the rest of our week to you. And we ask, Lord, that you would, you would grow our faith, refine it, Jesus. Use these times to refine it. And help us to go deep. Give us a deep faith, not a shallow faith, a deep faith. It goes all the way down to the roots of the truth that you are, Lord. And so we thank you, submit to you. We yield to you and to your gospel. Thank you, Jesus.